This is 99% Invisible. And Decode DC. It's a special joint episode between my friend here, Roman Mars. And my friend, Andrea Seabrook. It's election season, as you know, and Andrea and I found out we had a lot of the same questions about the political events that are everywhere right now. Questions like, how much of a debate or a press conference is genuinely spontaneous? And how much is pre-planned? Who designs the theater of politics? Why do speeches and town hall meetings look the way they do? And what message are the campaigns trying to express with their design? To answer some of these questions, we tracked down two of the most interesting people I've ever talked to in politics, and we asked them for their secrets. Secret number one. Every campaign has a brand. This is probably not a huge secret to anyone who's paying close attention, but it's more than just the politician himself as a brand. It's an abstraction that floats on top of the human being that's running for office. So Obama in 2008, it was hope. And for Romney right now, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. Romney's brand is like a competent businessman who can bring back jobs. That is the message that the campaign is selling, and every detail is arranged to market that brand. The politician's clothes, how he walks, what he says, where he goes, his sense of humor, his wife, his haircut, his watch. Which brings us to secret number two. Every campaign has a team of people who are in charge of making every event fit that brand. They're called the advance team. From campaign headquarters, they're given a location, a date, a type of event, and a plane ticket. Donnie Fowler is a longtime advance guy. He worked for Bill Clinton, Al Gore, John Kerry, Barack Obama. So he's a Democrat. Yes, very much a Democrat. And Fowler says that for every campaign event, there's something you have to have on the stage, but it's a different thing in every place. Whether it's the flag or in Iowa, the hay bale, or the coal miner standing behind you in Ohio, uh, or the beach if you're in Florida, the naval yard if you're in Virginia. So you want local color, you want signs of Americana, and you want real people. The key, he says, is making the event look genuine, the politician look more human and good at relating to regular Americans. So you rarely are going to see even Mitt Romney in front of a boardroom with a bunch of white guys in blue suits and red ties. Because <laughs> even, even though his background, to his benefit, uh, to his credit, is uh, from the corporate boardroom, that's not the kind of images you want to choose when you're, when you're running for president. Now, John Seaton, a Republican advance guy, agrees. Having a bale of hay or a corn reference or something like that certainly kind of gives, you know, makes it clear that you're somewhere rural, so it makes it clear that, you know, if it's caucus season, that you're in Iowa, um, and sends that message. Seaton worked for Republicans like John McCain, Sarah Palin, Tim Pawlenty. And that brings us to secret number three. The advanced teams run their campaigns pretty much the same way. Some are better funded than others, but they're all doing the same thing, marketing their brand day by day, event by event. Fowler says the advanced team flies into the event location a week or more before a speech or rally. A 20-minute event requires several dozen people, campaign staff, secret service. They start there from zero and work hundreds and hundreds of hours to put together what might be that 20-minute campaign stop. The advanced team is responsible for the staging of the event, from the flowers to the backdrop to the security and the audience. 
The first big decision is where to have the event. And that, says Fowler, can so easily go wrong. Like in 2004, when John Kerry went to the key primary state of South Carolina to announce his candidacy. Kerry's a Vietnam War hero, and he gave his speech before the USS Yorktown, a massive aircraft carrier. Which at the time seemed like a good idea. Everyone in America knows it's not fair. The crowd was tiny, and especially in front of a huge aircraft carrier, a tiny crowd looks even tinier. And fair once and for all. There's a big lesson in this one, says Fowler. Don't put the candidate in a situation where he looks diminished because you can't build a crowd. Same as the Romney economic speech this year, where he put it in a football stadium and there was only a few thousand people and it looked like nobody showed up to hear Romney talk about the economy. And I want to thank the folks at the Ford Field uh, for making this a space available for us. I guess we had a hard time finding a large enough place to meet, and this certainly is. Now, the Republican advanced guy, Seton, also talked about that Romney speech, and he, too, says choosing a venue that's too large can be disastrous. You know, immediately before the candidate even takes the stage, you're going to have people tweeting and blogging about how, you know, candidate X clearly doesn't have very much support in this county because his venue is basically empty. And then remember, those weak applauses, the camera's pan of the empty stadium will be played over and over and over again. Romney's campaign couldn't even fill all the chairs in the audience. Secret number four is a corollary to this. Every campaign these days sends out, well, spies, I guess you could call them, to every one of their opponent's events. In politics, they're called trackers, says Seaton. Every event generally anymore is going to have trackers from the other campaigns. Uh, You don't want to give them anything to use on the visual side that will hurt your candidate. So here's the half secret. The advanced staff of one candidate often becomes friendly with the trackers of their opponent. Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. I mean, hey, they're in the same line of work. They see each other everywhere. It's their life. Well, uh, better luck next time, Ralph. Oh, sure. You can't win them all, you know. Thanks. Nice day, huh, Sam? Yep. Good to be alive, Ralph. Secret number five. Everything is staged. I cannot stress this enough. And the longer in advance an event is planned, the more granular that staging becomes. Take the debates, says Fowler. So what you're seeing is not an extemporaneous debate between two very smart people. No, it's an incredibly finely staged theater. Every little detail about that stage, how they're standing, is, is discussed and, and litigated early. And if you watch carefully, says Seaton, you can tell. Look at how the candidates shake hands, the presence they have with each other, uh, what they're doing when the other person's talking. Then there are the conventions. Also incredible dramaturgical feats. From the message of the speeches to the timing of the balloon drop. Even the chants of the crowds that seem so spontaneous, they're completely pre-planned by the campaign staff. Even when people are chanting, they're also kind of part of the production. Seaton says each section of the convention floor has a campaign whip 
who receives instructions passed down from a central planner. And the whips then make sure that their sections are, are chanting appropriately. Because left to their own devices, a big group can become a big, stupid mob. Like at the Republican convention this year, when a bunch of people started chanting USA, preventing the committee woman from Puerto Rico from taking the mic. Which actually brings us to secret number six. No matter how carefully the advance team plans, campaign events can and do go wrong. And the biggest screw-ups, says Eaton, are totally self-inflicted. And then I think everyone remembers uh, Governor Palin doing an interview in front of turkeys being, being, being killed. The event was supposed to be a pardoning of a Thanksgiving turkey, Palin's attempt to do a presidential event. But when she took questions from reporters, she stood right in front of a slaughtering table. Oh, well, this was this was neat. I, I was uh, happy to get to be invited to participate in this. And, and uh, you know, it, it... Behind her right now, a man is hoisting live turkeys up into a cone so he can slit their necks and bleed them to death. You see this happening and it's just like... There was no one there to say, wait a minute, maybe we should move this interview, you know, five feet over to the left or something. Donnie Fowler remembers a fancy fundraiser for Bill Clinton's 1996 re-election campaign. Harvey Weinstein and Paul Newman were going to introduce President Clinton into this big fundraiser in Connecticut. And I was in charge of telling Paul Newman and Harvey Weinstein when they were going to go up on the stage to welcome President Clinton into the room. And in my little earpiece, I heard... uh, where are you in the program? We're on our way. And so I went to Mr. Weinstein and Mr. Newman and I said, gentlemen, it's time for you to go and introduce president into the room. So they, they stand up and they say how happy they are to be there. And they say, ladies and gentlemen, will you please stand up and welcome President Clinton into the room? The doors in the back of the room opened, the spotlight uh, shone on the doors and in walked Kenny G. So Harvey Weinstein and Paul Newman looked at me from the stage like, what the heck is going on, man? (laughs) Fowler realized the wrong person had been talking in his earpiece, saying, let's get started. We're on our way. He thought it was Clinton's handlers, but it had been Kenny G's. And that brings us to secret number seven. Everyone traveling with the campaign, the advance team, the handlers, probably even the candidate, ends up loathing the music. So do the reporters. It's a beautiful day! The sort of upbeat, we love America pop song that every candidate has. God, it just makes me ill. Sometimes it's rock and roll, sometimes it's country, but it's inevitably an upbeat pop song that you come to the stage and you leave to the stage and work the rope line with, too. <laughs> Brooks and Dunn's got their song, Only in America, that I think has been used by both parties since President Bush in 2004. Only in America, same in red, white, and blue. The patriotic mix. Seaton and Fowler, both of them, serious political animals, told us they do not miss that in the off years. So Seaton, Fowler, I can't remember who's the Republican and who's the Democrat. It doesn't matter. They're putting on the same show. (laughs) 
So as we mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is a co-production of 99% Invisible and a new program from Andrea Seabrook called Decode DC. Andrea was the congressional correspondent for NPR News for over a decade, and she's given a lot of interviews about this new show and why she left NPR to cover politics in her own way. But when we were recording our voice tracks the other night, she said something that perfectly encapsulates why Decode DC is so important. The key is making the event look genuine. I like this. Making the event look genuine. I love that. (laughs) That, like, those words together make me so happy. It's like, finally I get to say what I mean to say. Okay. Right now, Andrea is raising the seed money for Decode DC on Kickstarter, and I'm going to chip in because I want her to tell me stories about politics that matter, where she can say something like looks genuine every single week. You can listen to past episodes and support her show at decodedc.com. Invisible was produced this week by Andrea Seabrook and me, Roman Mars, with Sam Greenspan and Lena Masitsis. We are a project of KALW 91.7 Local Public Radio in San Francisco and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco. Support for 99% Invisible comes in part from the Facebook design team who believes that design can bring positive change to the world. Visit them at facebook.com slash design. Support is also provided by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say. What do you have to say, Maslow? My favorite thing to talk about is robots and Iron Man suits and stuff. Robots and Iron Man suits. I would subscribe to that newsletter. Tinyletter.com, the simplest way to send an email newsletter from the people behind MailChimp. We are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange, making public radio more public. Find out more at prx.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars, and now you can enjoy the show on Flipboard for your iPad or smartphone. Our page is flipboard.com slash 99% invisible. And right now we're also featured in an on the red couch interview with Mia Q from Flipboard. So check it out. For more information about this program, including the music that we use in the show this week, go to 99percentinvisible.org.